This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Today is going to be uh, Covenant People Part 3. Covenant People Part 3. And just as a quick little recap, in the first week we kind of learned that a covenant is more than just uh, a contract, even though that could be a, a synonymous term, but a contract is really more about a piece of paper, and and in our day and age, we sign lots of contracts, but that's all there is to it. I've signed a piece of paper promising that I'll pay my mortgage on time, right, and, or, or whatever the case is, and and so we found out that, that a covenant, it, it is a contract, and there are promises made by both parties, but there's also a relationship that goes with it, and that's why it makes me mad when somebody says marriage is just a piece of paper, that's a lie from hell, marriage is a covenant in the sight of God Almighty, and don't tell me that my covenant with my wife is just a piece of paper because you're too dense to understand it, amen? Excuse me, I'm sorry, I'll calm down now, but uh, uh, a marriage is a covenant, and that's why it's such a powerful and important thing. And so uh, a covenant is not just uh, promises, it's not just paper, it's a relationship between the parties entering into it. And that's why it's it's more than those things. And then last week, what we really looked at was uh, the old covenant, right? Uh, and, and so we've got the law of Moses, the Mosaic covenant, and that was a great thing for the time period that it was in. And it's a wonderful thing, but we as New Testament Christians no longer live under the old covenant. And Jesus said, I didn't come to erase it. He said, I didn't come to abolish it and pretend like it never even existed. But he said, I came to fulfill the old covenant. And then, as we're going to see this way, he starts making a new covenant. And Hebrews 8, 6 says that you've got a better covenant than Moses with better promises. And there were some good promises to Moses. And as I look at those, I'm like, that sounds great, but it makes me excited. And I about run a lap around the church when I read Deuteronomy 28, because I see that as good as Moses and those people had their promises, I've got a better covenant with better promises, because my covenant isn't based upon uh, the, the sacrifice of some sheep or some goat. It's based upon the very sacrifice of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. What could be more powerful than that? There's nothing more powerful than that. Amen? And so, we're going to get into the Word today. That was our brief recap, our brief replay of the last two weeks. And we're going to study two people today. We're going to study David and Jesus and the covenants that they had. All right. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, that we have a church to meet in, God, and we no longer take it for granted that we've got a place to get together and gather as we were commanded and to sing your praises and to fellowship and study your word. We thank you that we've got that. And God, I pray that as we're here as a great big family today, that you will speak to us, God. You will tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear, God, because we want to change. We want to be better. We want to be more like you. And on top of it all, we want, to, we want to live our lives for you the very best way that we need to, Lord. We love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, can somebody say amen? Amen. All right. Let's do this. The first thing we're looking at today, number one, is the Davidic covenant. That's the covenant of David. And I told you last week, there's kind of seven main covenants 
mentioned in Scripture, and several of those are, are to the nation of Israel, right? Like God promised that they can always have this little strip of land over there, and to this day, it's the, you know it's it's theirs. And and then uh, God made some individual covenants, uh, and 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 today we're going to look at one of those. This is to David and his family, and you'll see how it's still in effect even in 2021. All right, and so David is most famous for what? What do you think David is the mo- the most famous moment of his life? Goliath. And we know he did a lot of other great things, but kind of the thing that even people that aren't Christians and don't go to church, people know this is a David and Goliath type of a battle, or or, or, or David killed Goliath. They, they at least know that much because it's a very famous moment in the Bible, and even basically in world history, that this thing actually happened. So David is one of the key people in scripture, you've got to know about David and you've got to know what his covenant was to fully appreciate some of the stuff that we even have going on right now in 2021. So I'm going to give you a little quick backstory on David before we get into the scripture on him. And uh, you need to know this, that up until the time uh, that first Samuel was written, Israel had no human king. God almighty was himself literally their king. And so there was no single human being. They had prophets. They had judges that settled disputes and things like that. But there was no human being that was their actual king. And so the people kind of start getting, like, jealous of the other countries. They're like, those guys have a king. Uh, They've got somebody they can go look to. They've got somebody that they can go see with their eyeballs. We want an actual human being king. And so Samuel's like, no, that's crazy. You guys have got it made. You, you've got God. They're like, no, no, no. We, and so Samuel goes to God and talks to God and says, these people want a human for their actual king. They want a man to be their king. And so God says, all right, give them what they want. Because it's not you that they're insulting. It's not you they're rebelling against. They're insulting me. And just give them what they want. See how they like it. But before you do it, Samuel... Tell them all of the downsides of having some person be their king. Tell them that they're going to pay taxes. Who loves paying taxes? Boo. (laughs) All right. Uh, If you have a man be your king, he's going to draft your sons into the army. He's going to take the best land and give it to himself and to his family. He's going to to really uh, look out for his own best interest a whole lot of the time. But go ahead and tell him. And so... Samuel says, all right, God says you guys can have a person be your king, have a man be your king, but here's all of the downside to having that. And then in 1 Samuel 8, 19, the people answered, even so, we still want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us, and he'll lead us into battle. And so God told Samuel, okay, they've made their choice. Give them a king. And so They go to select a king, right? And who do they get? They get this guy named Saul. He was tall, dark, and handsome. On the other, he was the tallest guy in Israel. He was the strongest guy in Israel. He was the best looking guy in Israel. According to People magazine of that day, he was the man. Everybody agreed he was the man, no denying it. And so they're like, this has got to be the guy that we've been looking for. And so, sure enough, they select Saul. And as you know, uh, well, maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but it doesn't end up working out. And to make a long story short, 
Saul is full of pride and and he disobeys the Lord and so he dies in battle. And as David is a teenage boy though, after after the whole giant thing, he's anointed to be the next king of Israel as a teenager. But the fact of the matter is he wouldn't become king for a long time. And so maybe uh, you can look at your life and say, I know God, you know, he called me to do this and and, and, and he, he made this promise to me and, and I haven't seen it yet. It'll happen. It shall come to pass, but it's going to have to happen in God's time, not when you decide that it's time. Right. And so David could have like, man, I was anointed to be king. How come how come it's taking so long? Well, hey, be patient. All right. We're working on God's time zone here. But anyway. David is chosen to, to end up being king, but I want to show you something very important here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Can we turn there? 1 Samuel chapter 17. And you're going to learn some stuff today if you'll pay attention. Who's going to pay attention? I was talking to one of the little kids at the men's meeting yesterday. <laughs> He's like, Pastor Dave, I like you a lot, but sometimes I fall asleep when you're preaching. <laughs> He's like, it's like listening to a bedtime story. And I'm like, glad I can help you out there, son. Thank you. That's, that means a lot. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It was funny. It was a cute thing. It was really cute. So, First uh, Samuel 17. And look at verse 26. Because here we have the famous story of David and Goliath. And so what we've got here is the Israelite people, people of covenant, people of promise, people of God's family, fighting against a bunch of Philistines who were evil, wicked, pagan people who had literally no promises from God. And and so Goliath, the nine-foot giant, shows up, nine feet tall, and he's hurling threats and insults at the Israelites. The, the army is hiding and cowering in fear, and David shows up, and he's like, hey, What's going on over here? Why are all the grown men hiding from these guys? And David gets really angry. And I'm going to show you why David gets angry. Because even as a teenager, David knew that he had a covenant with God. And somehow, even as a teenager, David had this deep understanding of what a covenant is, even though the adults didn't. And I have found out even today that sometimes the kids have a better understanding of God than we do sometimes. Because they just trust him. They're, you know, like, hey, aren't you scared? I'm not scared. The Bible says this. What are you scared about, sissy? Like, oh, okay, sorry. (laughs) You know, the kids, they trust God. And so David, as a teenage boy, probably around 17 years old, somewhere within that range, he's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why is everybody crying and hiding from this guy? So 1 Samuel 17, verse 26, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach, the embarrassment from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, taking you back two weeks ago, We found out with Abraham and under the covenant of Moses that one of the signs for the covenant is that the men had to be circumcised. That was God's choice. That was his thing. I'm not going into all that. But but the sign and the mark of circumcision meant this guy, he has the mark of the covenant. This is a covenant person. These guys are all hiding and, and, and cowering. And David's like, wait a minute. You're hiding from this guy? 
Who is he? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's making fun of your God? You're really going to sit there and let this pagan make fun of your God and you're not going to do anything about it? That's a disgrace. That's a reproach. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. And I wonder sometimes these days, we just sit there and take it while they make fun of our God, while they make fun of our beliefs, while they mock everything that we stand for. I'm not saying to go out there and hit him in the head with a rock. Don't do that. But at the same time, it's okay sometimes to stand up for what you believe in. Amen? And so look at verse 36. Verse 36. So he says it again. Your servant, David, has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. So what am I getting at here? David shows up and he's like, wait a minute. This guy doesn't even have a covenant with God. He doesn't have a covenant with God. We have a covenant with God. We've got promises. We've got a covenant with God. There's no way. And so people look at this fight like David was so heroic. He was. He was heroic. David was brave. David was tough. David was awesome. But really, if you could see it through David's eyes, he's like, this is a rigged fight. There's not a chance in the world I can lose this thing. I've got a covenant and he doesn't have one. And if you right now in 2021 would start saying, wait a minute, why am I even afraid of this? I've got a covenant with God and the devil that's trying to take me and my family down. He doesn't even have a covenant. This thing's rigged. There's no way I can possibly even lose this thing. If you knew that you had a covenant, you wouldn't just be sitting there like that right now. You'd be a little bit excited because the fight that you are in, you will win if you will understand that you've got a covenant with God. This thing is rigged. This thing is built in your favor if you're going up against something or someone that does. And so everyone's like, David, how did he find the strength? How did he, how did he summon up the, 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 the courage? And it's really not that complicated. It spells it out right there. This guy is uncircumcised. He's making fun of the armies of the living God. He has no covenant. I've got one. Let's go. It was a, it was a two hit fight. He hit Goliath. Goliath hit the ground. It was all over with in a matter of minutes. But why is that? Because David knew that he had a covenant. Any fight that you enter, okay, any fight that you enter is rigged in your favor because God is on your side. As long as you're not fighting the wrong battles, which some people are. I'm talking about when the devil comes against you and your household, you are going to win if you'll do things God's way. His way always works. And so, David defeated Goliath. You can read the rest of that story on your own time. He defeats Goliath, and everybody loves David, and and David becomes king, and to this very day, David is the most beloved king that Israel ever had. They still love David like nobody else. But what I want to do is I want to show you David's personal covenant, the covenant that God made with David. Now, as I tried to explain last week, some of the covenants that we see in Scripture, they were 
unconditional. Uh, God was going to fulfill the covenant with that person or that people group, uh, whether they really obeyed or not. Uh, but the law of Moses, that covenant was very conditional. God will bless, bless you like you've never seen, but you've got to keep the law and you've got to obey every little single part of it. That was conditional. Think about one of the, the very first covenant in the Bible, Genesis chapter 9, when uh, when God promised Noah, hey, I will never destroy the entire earth ever again with a flood. And to prove it, I'll give you the sign of the rainbow as a mark of my covenant. That was made to all mankind. And God's not going to destroy the entire earth with a flood ever again, even if we're really naughty, right? (laughs) Because, hey, sometimes, like, God, you probably just go ahead and do that again. It's getting bad down here. But no, no, no. He won't do it because he made a promise to Noah, and to all mankind. And so, with Moses, there was a lot of conditions in that covenant. And here we have uh, David's covenant, the Davidic covenant, and God said, I'm, you know what, I'm going to keep this covenant to you and your family forever. Some of them are going to walk away from me and all this, but I will keep this covenant with you and your family forever. And so, I want to look at this, Second Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 7. Can we turn there? Are we learning anything today? We're trying to educate you in the scripture. And then, of course, we want you to be able to apply this to your life because I don't really like to just learn a bunch of stuff that I can't apply to my life. I want to, I want to learn, but then I want to know, how's that going to help me right now in 2021? I heard somebody say, hey, we'll get the victory in the sweet by and by when we get up to heaven. Then somebody else said, yeah, the sweet by and by, but we live in the nasty now and now. I need help for today. I need something that's going to give me some faith right now. So Second Samuel chapter 7. And verse 9, and so this is God, uh, if you read the whole chapter, for the sake of time, I'm not reading all of it, but Second Samuel chapter 7, and so God starts laying out some of the things that he wants to do for uh, the family of David, and he promises some really awesome, incredible things for David and for his family. But if you look here at verse 9, he says, I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. That was a promise from God. I just asked a minute ago, and hey, who knows who David is? I mean, everybody raised their hand. Of course, you know, most of your church people or whatever, but even if you go out on the streets, hey, do you know who David is? God made David's name as famous, I would say, as anybody that's ever lived on the earth. David is a very famous name. That's a cool promise from God to him. But look here, I want to skip down to verse 16, because here's what I'm getting at. Second Samuel 7, and verse 16, you can read the in-between verses for some more cool promises that God made to him. But look at verse 16, he says, your house, meaning your family, and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. Now, as he's making that promise, you're like, well, that's what, what, that's neat. But, but what he, what, what he's promising David is, one of David's descendants will always, throughout time, forever, sit on the throne of Israel. Your kingdom, your family, your heritage, David, is secure forever. 
Now, there's some things David wanted to do. You know, you look at the earlier on there, David, he goes into the palace one night. He stretches and lays down on the bed, and he's like, man, I've got a good life. I live in a giant palace. I've got it made. Then he looks out, and he notices the little ark that they've got, you know, the presence of God in. And he's like, I'm living in a palace and we're keeping the presence of God. We're keeping God in a, a little box outside. I can't take this. I'm going to build God the biggest and grandest temple the world's ever seen. And God says, David, I love you. That's not for you. You're not allowed. You're not going to be the one. Your son is going to be the one to build my temple. And so, and so God kept that promise. And Solomon builds the temple, the famous temple. And it's incredible. But God tells David, you're kingdom and your throne is secure one of your descendants will always be sitting on the throne one of your descendants will always be on the throne of israel and so this is a big thing because you're like well again what does that mean do you not realize friends that if i'm not going to go there because it's a little but in matthew chapter one we see the story of a carpenter in Israel named Joseph who would become the, you know, the father of Jesus Christ. And Joseph, though he was not Jesus's earthly dad, enlists all of the lineage of Joseph, all of his ancestors, all the way back, all the way back, like 40-something generations. And if you look right in there, one of Joseph's ancestors was a guy named David, the son of Jesse. Jesus Christ was a descendant of King David through the lineage of Joseph on that side. God kept his promise to David because Jesus sits not only on the throne of Israel, he sits on the throne of heaven at the right hand of God to this very day. But then if you go over to Luke chapter 3, it goes to Jesus' maternal side with his blood mother Mary, and it traces her lineage, and Mary was also a descendant of King David. Jesus was a descendant of David on his mom's side and his dad's side, and he still sits on the throne of Israel and the throne of heaven to this very day. Did God keep his promise to David? The Bible later on goes to say that God found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after his own heart. There's never been anybody like David before. Now, I believe that there's other people that God will say, that's a man after my own heart. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible only records one person that God set it after. Because David made some mistakes. David was not perfect. David did, arguably, some of the greater sins. Well, I thought all sins are equal. Not all sins are equal, man. A kid stealing a donut from Krispy Kreme is not like David murdering somebody. Yeah, don't lie to me about that. That's that's baloney, all right? And I anyway, that's a whole other topic that I've studied out. But I I could go further into that if you'd like someday. But that's a lie, uh, and that's that's stupid. David committed adultery and had somebody murdered, and then God still says, "This is a man after my own heart." Why is that? Because David, when he realized what he had done, he he wept. He came to the Lord and, 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 and he made it right. He didn't, he didn't say, no, I never did it. No, that's not me. Like so many, do you really think that when you lie to God and say, I didn't do it? Come on, man. You think he doesn't know? He knows. 
That's silly. That's like you ever catch your kids doing something dumb like, hey, who ate the cookies? And one of them has Oreos all over their mouth and, and teeth. It wasn't me. I don't know who, who did. Yeah, it was you. Yeah, don't, don't lie. It's, it's obvious to everybody around you except for you yourself. You did it. And so David did some bad things, but God forgave him because he had the right heart before him. And as you'll see in the New Covenant, it's a whole lot more about what's on our heart. We make mistakes. We fail. But Jesus Christ makes a way. If we'll own up to it, he can confess our sins. He forgives us and cleanses us every single time. And so David, amen, David is really important, not just because he killed Goliath, but because Jesus Christ of Nazareth came down his family line and changed the world like nobody's ever changed the world forever. God kept his promise to David, all right? And so that is a very brief overview of David's covenant, but now here's what I here's the whole point of why I'm even talking about anything on this subject. Number 2, I want to look at the new covenant. The new covenant. And why is that so important? Because this is the covenant that you live under right now. This is your covenant. And, uh, and, and I'm not gonna be able to possibly touch everything on it today, so I'm gonna dig in a little more next week. But, I'm gonna show you right now what this covenant is based off of. Because each covenant has, you know, things that it's based on. And this covenant, it's based on Jesus Christ. It's not based on you. It's not based on me. It's based on Jesus Christ. And that's why it's the most powerful thing the world has ever seen. And so, the new covenant, that we live in, there was all over the Old Testament, the prophets were prophesying uh, that there's going to eventually be a new covenant that comes into play. And, and so Moses, Jeremiah, Ezekiel all predicted and promised uh, that there's going to someday be an incredible new covenant that God makes with his people. And everyone's like, I don't ever see that happening. But it happened when Jesus came. You don't have to turn there. You can write this down. Jeremiah 31 and verse 33. Jeremiah 31 verse 33 Jeremiah said, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. The old covenant was written on stone. It was chiseled into stone. The new covenant is written on the hearts of every person that's in here that's received Jesus Christ. I don't have to go to the temple. I don't have to go see the priest to go say, hey, can you show me that again? And, 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 and then carry these big. No, I look straight to my Bible. I get to look right at my heart and realize God's new covenant that he promised. It's written right on my heart. It is with in me, it's not written on some tablet of stone somewhere. And in fact, God said, I will give them a new heart. I will put a brand new heart within them. And when you're born again, Jesus comes in and changes your heart. And that's talking about your spirit. I don't just have to go and, and you know, get my, my uh, sins, you know, like washed off, do a quick. No, I have been completely cleansed. And according to 2 Corinthians 5, I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
nobody before could ever have that to this level. It's an incredible thing. And so... When Jesus came into the earth, you study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for a lot of that period, he was still living under the old Mosaic Covenant, and, and, and he was still, a, he was a Jewish man operating under the law of Moses, and you'll see in lots of the scriptures, he even refers, he's like, well, the law of Moses says this. And one thing that I, you know, one, one chapter that I really like is, uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, the law, the law of Moses tells you an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So under Moses' law, somebody pokes you in the eye, hey, I get to poke your eye back. It's only fair. You knock one of my teeth out, I get to knock one of your teeth out. It's fair. You kick me, I'm allowed to kick you one time because it has to be fair. And then Jesus shows up in Matthew 5 and says, you've heard it said that the law of Moses told you an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. They're like, what? That's not even in the law. I don't have to do that. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. And Jesus begins slowly showing them a new covenant is coming. Things are getting ready to change big time. He says, you've heard it said that you've got to carry a soldier's gear for one mile. But I tell you, go the extra mile. And so Jesus starts giving these little hints. He's like, the law does say this, but I'm telling you it's going to be like this from now on. And he starts drawing the picture of what a new covenant is going to be like. And another thing that Jesus did that just started like really messing with people is he came and he said several times, though, hey, I came to help the lost sheep of Israel. I came to help the Jewish people. And when people uh, would say, you know what, I, I know that. I trust you, though. Jesus blew everybody's mind when he started loving and ministering to people that weren't Jewish. In Matthew chapter 8, we just studied this on Wednesday night in the service, this Roman officer, the soldier in the, in the Roman army shows up and says, hey, my servant is at home paralyzed and in bed with a fever. He's dying. This guy was not Jewish. And Jesus is like, uh, and the guy says, no, just speak the word only. I'm not worthy. Don't even come to my house. Just speak the word from where you are. And I know you can heal him. And Jesus is like, okay, go. And Jesus heals this person that has absolutely no covenant with God. Matthew chapter 15, this mom shows up and says, Jesus, you've got to help me. My daughter is demon-possessed. She's going crazy. And and Jesus says, I am sorry to hear about that. In fact, it says she was a Canaanite woman. The people of Canaan were well known for worshiping idols, for making, you know, they 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 were idol worshipers. They were devil worshipers. They were wicked people. So, yeah, you play around with that stuff, you're going to catch some demons, man. And I'll just tell you that right now. You don't mess around with the black magic and the arts and the, listen, you want to play with that? You will get more than you can handle, man. And you may think I'm weird, but I'm telling the truth. I have cast the devil out of people that they got their start playing with witchcraft. And so I, it's, it's no wonder that this little girl, I don't know how old she was, she was possessed by the devil. And so she's like, Jesus, please, you're the only one. He's like, I'd like to, but I was sent to help the people of Israel. Uh, and, and she's like, you're the only one. He's like, it would be wrong to take the bread from the table, the bread from the children, and throw it to the dogs. Like, whoa, Jesus, he just called this woman a 
dog because she is not of the covenant. Now, upon further study of that, you can... uh, he wasn't straight up calling her a dog. It was culturally at the time that uh, once a, you could feed puppies from the table, but you couldn't feed the grown dogs. They had to go take care of themselves. And so Jesus was basically saying, "Hey, you're you're a little puppy. You're you're, you're not there yet. You're not one of us. I I can't I can't take the I can't take the bread from the the real children and just throw it to the. You're gonna have to go." And she's like, "Yes, Jesus." But even the little dogs, even the puppies get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. I know I don't have a covenant. Just give me some crumbs. And Jesus is like, whoa, this lady gets it. He's like, you know what? Yeah, go your way for your daughter is whole. And she went home and her daughter had been delivered from the devil. And she didn't even have a covenant. And so Jesus starts giving all these hints. I know Moses said this, but I tell you this. And then he starts ministering to and bringing in the people that are Gentiles. And so he's like, hey, get used to it. These are, they're going to be part of the family now. It's like, you know, when somebody's like, hey, you know, kids, you're going to, there's new people coming into the family. Just get used to it. They're like, hey, we don't want them in our family. And Jesus is saying, hey, the Gentiles are going to be part of the family of Abraham soon. You better get used to this new covenant that's coming. But the greatest thing that Jesus did out of all of it is that he became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And if you don't understand covenants and you don't understand the Bible, you're like, well, yay, thank you, Jesus. Hey, I owe you one. But it's a lot deeper than that. Under the old covenant, the priest made daily sacrifices for sins, but there was no power in the blood of these animals to actually get rid of sin. It could only temporarily atone for sin until the next time you screwed things up. And for some of us, we screw up quite a bit. I mean, I know I'm not the only one, but hey, I do some dumb things sometimes. Just ask my wife and she'll tell you, okay? I do some dumb things. I mess up every now and then, right? We all do. We all do. And wouldn't it be bad if every time, like, ah, man, I said that word again. I got to go out and... Another goat's going to lose its life today because, hey, someone's got to pay. <laughs> there's got to be the shedding of blood, for without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Uh, someone's got to die for this. And so there was no power in the blood of these animals. In fact, Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So, at best, they could just temporarily atone. They could just temporarily Bring a little bit of forgiveness, but it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to actually take away sins. Now, sheep, on the other hand, are seen as a very special animal in Israel, right? And so every Passover, a young sheep was made as the a pure, you know, Beautiful, good-looking little sheep. I know to us it sounds like, oh, man, cute little guy. That sounds terrible. You know, it sounds like Lamb Chop from Lamb Chop's Play Along. Yeah, it was similar to that. But but anyway, and so they had a big, the, the best-looking, the most pure little sheep would be the sacrifice to atone for the sins of Israel for that year. But at the same time, it was never permanent. It was just a temporary Band-Aid. But then, one of the things I love is John the Baptist, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, John 1, 29, uh, John sees his cousin Jesus walking up the way, and he's like, whoa, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
John got it. Jesus was the Lamb of God. Not the Lamb of the son of Jesse. Not the Lamb of, you know, Malachi. Not the Lamb of Joel. Not the Lamb of Benjamin. Not the Lamb of whoever. Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who John said, oh my gosh. John got it. This, oh, this man right here is the Lamb of God. This guy is going to take away the sins of the entire world. And that was a mind blow. The, whoa, whoa. You mean the, of, all, of all of Nazareth? No, 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 no. Of all of Jerusalem? No, no, no. Of all of Judah? No, no. Of, of, this guy's going to take away the sins of all of Israel? No. This man will permanently pay the price and take away the sins of the entire world. The lamb, and John got it. And John was like, oh my gosh. And Jesus is like, you, but John, you have to baptize me. I know we're cousins. You've got to baptize me. And John says, no, I ain't doing it. No way. You baptized me. And Jesus says, John, stop. It has to be done so I can fulfill what my father said. John, I know you don't want to. I know you're uncomfortable. John, you have to baptize me because my father said so. And John's like, okay. I'll do it. And John baptizes his cousin Jesus. And Jesus comes up out of the water of the Jordan River. And it is such a powerful moment that a dove, the Holy Spirit, descends in the form of a dove. And the voice of God the Father, this is one of the only times recorded, that God's voice spoke from heaven. And everybody there heard it. It was not like somebody said, hey, God spoke to me, man. And it was real deep, brother. Let me just tell you about this heavy revy that God gave to me. No, everybody there heard it, and he said, Behold, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. You guys better look out. And so, Jesus, we know, we start seeing him operate in power. You can study the four Gospels. He starts doing miracles, and he's like, Hey, I'm going to do this, but don't tell anybody yet. Just keep it to yourself, because he knew... His time had not yet come. He kept telling people, don't tell everybody what I just did, because then they're gonna, and they're gonna come and try to kill me. And people are like, okay, then they would go tell anybody, everybody anyway, like, hey, you get, this guy just healed me, this guy. And so for three and a half years, Jesus walks around this, this area of Israel, healing, casting out devils, forgiving sins, raising the dead, giving people hope, doing miracles, changing that region at an incredible rate, and his fame is just spreading. He's very famous, like, oh, there he is, there he is. And people would follow him. He could never get a moment's rest. One time when they killed his cousin John, the King Herod had his head cut off, Jesus is so distraught, he's like, guys, I need a minute. He goes to the other side of the lake. He's like, I just want to be alone. And people are like, hey, Jesus is over at the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Go. And so crowds follow. And Jesus is like, hey, I can't even get a moment to myself. He didn't. That's not recorded in scripture. I'm just paraphrasing what I think happened. Okay. I'm imagining because I've got kids. I tried to sneak a Snickers bar into my bedroom closet and they heard me from downstairs. Okay. It's messed up. How in the world can you be yelling instructions, clean your room? I didn't hear you, man. And then the second that I touch a candy bar, they hear it from up the block. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear, right? Jesus said it, not me. You do with that what you want. But I, they've got ears. They just ain't hearing these days, okay? So anyway... 
Praise the Lord. Let me get back on topic here. So, so Jesus, they're following him everywhere. Even when he goes to the other side of the lake. They all show up and he preaches for for days. And then he's like, these guys are hungry. we got to feed them. The disciples said, hey, we don't have any food. This little kid over here has some fish and some bread. Jesus, like, bring it here. Multiplies it. Feeds over 5,000 men and not including the women and children. Jesus was the real deal. There's never been anybody even close to how awesome Jesus is. And be careful that you don't talk about him in the past tense and say, he was cool, because he ain't dead. He's still alive. He's still doing those things. Amen? He didn't change. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And so, watch how you talk about him, because he's still around, and he's coming back, and we're going to get to see him face to face someday. So, Jesus wanders and, and travels the area for three and a half years. But I'm going to skip forward here to Matthew chapter 26. Turn there, please. Matthew 26. What we have here is the story of the Last Supper. And it's it's an emotional thing to kind of read because Jesus is talking to these guys and, and, uh, and he's like, guys, it is about to happen. It's going to get real. And he says, uh, in fact, one of you guys is going to actually betray me. Uh, and, and, you know, just letting you know up front, one of you is going to betray me. And so they're all like, what? One of us? One of, out of this group of 12? And so like, Peter's like, is it me? John, is it me? James, is it me? Thaddeus, is it me? Even Thomas, is it me? Lord, would I? And it gets down to all these guys and Judas, Judas knows it's him. But hey, you can't look awkward. So Jesus, is it me? And Jesus says, you've said it. Judas runs out into the night and goes and gets the soldiers. But Jesus, he's about to have what's his very last supper with his disciples. These guys have ate together every meal, three and a half years. They've been together nonstop, working miracles, just healing people, walking on every, I mean, this has been a while. Can you imagine three and a half years working directly side by side with the physical Jesus? What a wild ride. And it all comes down to this. And he's like, guys, this will be the last meal we share. You won't drink anything with me again until the kingdom of heaven, until we get to heaven. And they're like, what are you even talking? Stop it. Don't say that type of thing. And he's like, guys, listen. So Matthew 26, verse 26 through 29 says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. This is my body. And he, he, he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And they're like, wait, your your blood confirms the covenant? No, the, the, the sheep outside. This was Passover time. This was literally during Passover. They're like, your blood doesn't confirm the covenant. That sheep out there does. The, the high priest, Caiaphas, he's going to kill it tomorrow, don't you know? Or, or a couple days from now. And, and, and he's like, no, this represents the new covenant that's going to actually be marked with 
my blood, not the blood of a sheep anymore. My blood's going to pay the price for this new covenant. Uh, Between God and his people, it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Not just the sins of Israel, not just the sins of the people right there, but the sins of many. And guess what? I am in that group. I am part of the many crowd. And so are you. And Jesus, they're like, what's even, I mean, we read this and like, yeah, I've heard that since I was a little kid. But these guys, their heads are like, what are you talking about right now? The sins of Jesus, what's going on here? And Jesus said, no, mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And so they're like, what is, okay. And so from there. Judas had already split to go be the backstabber traitor that he was. And so Jesus is like, guys, let's go pray. So they go out to the Mount of Olives and they go to this garden called Gethsemane. And he's like, I just need to pray. And so Jesus is praying. And of course, his disciples, they're, you know, they, they keep falling asleep. He's like, guys, wake up. Wake up. I need you guys right now. They fall asleep again. It happened three times. Guys, wake up. And on one hand, I get a little judgmental that I'm like, how Jesus has been there for you for everything and you can't even stay up and pray. But then there is also the aspect that we have no idea the weight of that moment when the son of God the savior of the world, the most important person in history, all the powers of darkness were swirling around Jerusalem. There was, I mean, the devil was like, oh man, here's our moment. We are going to take him out. There was a heaviness that I'll bet was just in the, have you ever been in an atmosphere where it's like, oh my gosh, there's just, it's, there's something going on in here. There was probably such a thickness of anxiety and stress. In fact, Luke who was a medical doctor, records in his gospel that Jesus was kneeling down and praying. And as he prayed, blood began to just sweat out of his body. And it says he his sweat fell to the ground as great drops of blood. Jesus' body was probably just like, oh gosh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And people are like, no, Jesus. Peter says, no, I'll never let you die. And Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Don't try to stop. This has to happen. It was... I can't even imagine the weight of this moment. People are saying, Jesus, don't do it. And Jesus says, no, guys, I, I got to do this. Don't try to talk me out of it. Then he calls one of his best friends like, get behind me, Satan. Do you realize that sometimes even well-meaning people could be speaking the wrong message to you? No, you need to quit. No, you need to not go there. No, it's not going to happen. And they may mean well. But And Peter meant well, but Jesus said, that's a lie from the devil. I will not. What if Jesus listened to Peter? Dude, I would be in a bad spot right now. I'm going to tell you that. (laughs) In fact, I'd be dead. I would have died of cancer when I was three, when I had it. I would have died at three. I know that much. But Jesus healed me. I am so glad that Peter did not talk Jesus out of going to the cross. And so Jesus is there. He's already got that precious, powerful blood pouring down, raining down from his face. His whole body is probably just maxed out to the point that a human body can be. And then, of course, here comes the mob. Judas tortures a whole mob of guys. Oh, there he is. Judas shows up and gives Jesus a kiss on the cheek. Rabbi! Oh my gosh. 
he betrayed Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to these people. And it had to happen. It had to happen. But they arrest Jesus. They, you know, it gets, it gets nasty from there. But as we read it out, you know, before Jesus is put on that cross, Pilate, the guy in charge, is like, I don't want to kill this guy. I don't want this on my hands. In fact, Pilate's wife says, honey, don't let them kill that guy. I had a dream last night that he's a very powerful person. Don't, whatever they do, don't, don't let, the, don't let the Jewish people kill this guy. Tell your men to stop. And Pilate comes out to the whole crowd and says, guys, I don't find anything wrong with him. In fact, I'm gonna wash my hands. It's on you. You wanna kill him? Fine. But I, hey, I got nothing to do with this. And so, they take Jesus. He's like, here, you know, go flog him. And so, they take Jesus, they tie him up to a post, and they beat him with 39 stripes. And there's where we see the back and the body of Jesus ripped and shredded from limb to limb, and his blood begins to pour out. Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 52. He said, one could scarcely recognize that he was a human being. This man was beaten to such a pulp, you would have looked at him and said, oh, what is that? That's how bad. Jesus didn't just get cut. and Jesus was beaten and shredded. And it was my fault. Because I'm a sinner. I was a sinner. And Jesus had to do it. Or David Samples had not a chance in the world of going to heaven. My stupid actions and sins made it to where somebody had to pay the price. And and Jesus said, it's okay, don't make David pay the price. I'll, I'll, I'll cover his tab. I'll pay the price for him instead. And so, 1 Peter 2, verse 24, it says, He bared our sins in his body while he was on the tree, on the cross. And by his stripes, by Jesus' wounds, we have been healed. And so, if you don't understand the covenant, this doesn't mean much to you. But when I see Jesus' blood, he's beaten, he's shredded, he's all, I mean, just the worst beating ever. And he's doing it all voluntarily. He could have got out of it, but he did it anyway. He's being beaten. And as I'm seeing that blood, I'm seeing there's more power in that blood than all the atomic nuclear warfare in the world than anything you can imagine one drop of Jesus blood contains more power more promise more anything than you can ever even imagine and here he is just getting beaten and shredded and what what do I see there I see Jesus said a new covenant marked with my blood you're never going to need a lamb again the lamb of God has been tore Open for your sins. I don't have to shed blood no more. His blood is so powerful, the Lamb of God, that when He cleansed my sins, it was once and for all time. I am clean. Now if I do sin, I have to confess my sins, according to 1 John 1, 9, and He is faithful and just to forgiving my sins, but He doesn't kick me out of the family because of it. 
Under the law of Moses, James said, hey, you break one law, you've broken all 612 of the other ones, because there were 613 commands and laws. You break one, you might as well have broke them all. You steal from someone, you might as well have just been a murderer anyway. I mean, what a, what a thing. But Jesus, he doesn't kick me out of the family. He's like, hey, that's my son. Hey, that, we're gonna take care of this. My blood cleansed him and paid the price for it. But here's the main point. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. Look at verse 45. We're talking about a new covenant. Who is thankful for a new covenant today? Who's thankful that you didn't have to pay the price for your own sins? I'm thankful. Because I couldn't have done it. I owed a debt. I couldn't pay. And he paid a debt that he did not owe. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 45. Here we have the final moments right here, right before Jesus dies. And it's crazy. Look at this. Matthew 27 and verse 45. It says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Can you imagine right there at Passover, right there in the middle of the day, the whole sky turns midnight dark from For three hours, noon to three, the whole darkness covers the whole skies. About three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemme sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And out of everything Jesus went through, this was the worst moment. In his entire existence, Jesus had never been separated from the Father. But for Jesus to go to hell and do war with the devil, he had to separate for the first time in his life from his Father. And here we see this moment, and he, and God, the scripture says that God turned his head the other way. Turned his head from his Son. And Jesus is like, Dad, where are you? My God, you've forsaken me. Where where are you? And he's in this awful moment, and all of hell is rejoicing. Here's our chance. We're going to get him now. And so... And so Jesus is crying out, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and they thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink it. But the rest said, wait, no, let's see whether Elijah does come to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, here we go. The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Giant rip. The earth shook. There was an earthquake. Rocks split apart. I mean, it's dark. The whole earth shakes. And you begin to wonder if people are like, maybe this was an important guy. There's a lot. And so the curtain in the temple was 60 feet tall, four inches thick. And it was such an important place because behind that curtain, only one person was allowed to go. And he was only allowed to go there once a year. The high priest was allowed to go one time a year at Passover and sacrifice a lamb to atone for the sins of Israel. And that is the place up until this moment here where the presence of God on earth was held and where God, his presence on earth lived up until this moment. Jesus dies, and at the exact moment Jesus dies, the earth shakes, 
rocks are splitting apart, and the curtain that held you out of God's presence was ripped in half. And now everybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And at this moment, you can go yourself into the presence of God. There's no barrier. It's, um, and, and, and up until, think about that. Think about, it. There, there's this one room in the United States, this one, and only the president, the only the president is the only one that's allowed to go in there, and even he can only go once a year, and then, as of this moment, you know what, everyone can go in there now. You're allowed to go, and guess what, you can go any time you want. You now, because of Jesus, have a direct connection to God the Father, and it's not based on you, it's based on Jesus. I mean, I don't use the word mind-blowing, but that's nearly mind-blowing, that I, that I, me, I can go, and even back then, only the most important person could go once a year. This is a big deal. There is, at this point, when that curtain ripped, the old covenant was gone, and then Jesus died. He rose from the dead. We've got a new covenant with God based on better promises. You have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, and you're allowed to go into God's presence whenever you want to. I like doing it at home, and I like coming to church where I get into God's presence with a whole bunch of my family. It's a beautiful thing. You've got a better covenant with better promises. You've got a brand new covenant. And next week I'm going to explain some of the benefits that belong to your covenant because most of you have no idea what belongs to you. If you're a union guy, you know what the Teamsters have promised you. You know that you only have to work, you know, if you're, yeah, that's fine, that's good, you should know that. But what if you knew your covenant with God the Father better than you knew your Teamsters covenant or better than you knew your American rights and privileges, you better know what belongs to you. Can we stand up together today, please? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.